Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Nymphet Alumni. I'm Biz. I'm with Sam and Lexi. And today we have a very, very special guest, one of our favorite creators, Sarah Hersey. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. Hi, I am so honored to be here. I am your guys' biggest fan. (laughs) The feeling is so mutual. (laughs) I was just going to ask if you kind of wanted to introduce kind of what you do. Yeah. So I am involved in the fitness space in a number of different ways. So I've been doing fitness things for about 10 years. I've, as an athlete, I've competed in CrossFit, bodybuilding, powerlifting. And then career-wise, I started out coaching CrossFit. I left my corporate job and everything I was doing before and decided I wanted to be a CrossFit coach. Did that for a while, did some personal training, and then started doing online stuff, became like an online content creator, did online coaching, and now I have my own app, which I just call the Sarah Hersey Fitness app. We're definitely going to be plugging that and put all of our <laughs> Yay, listeners please. on the routine. <laughs> we have your new favorite fitness coach right on the pod right now. Absolutely. Um, we've been wanting to have you on for like almost a year now. Um, Sarah also very kindly got our Pinterest back from being banned <laughs> a long time ago. And so we are indebted right. to her eternally. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. We just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience in the fitness space and how that kind of rel- relates to aesthetics and fashion. We've always noticed that you're like incredibly intelligent, well-informed. We're always learning from you. Um, and I think we'd love to hear your insights into kind of like how fitness has affected like kind of feminine spaces in the modern day. So when did you, you also competed professionally in a bodybuilding competition. Is this correct? Yes. I've done several bodybuilding competitions. I started an NPC, which is the major organization. And then I switched to WBFF, which is slightly different and got my pro card with them and did one pro show with them as well. Oh, wow. So when, what year was this? Or years? Yeah. Yeah, it was... Gosh, it's been maybe two or three years since I did my pro show, maybe two years. And so I guess I competed for maybe three or four years in that period. Wow. How long did it take you to prepare for each show? Like, what were some of the preparations like? Because it seems like such a full-time, almost like endeavor to dedicate yourself to your own body in that way. For sure. (laughs) It's like completely all consuming when Mm -hmm. you're prepping for bodybuilding. I will say like the, the bulk of the muscle building process, that's not like a short term thing that takes years. So you kind of like, I was training for several years, five years, six years before I even thought about bodybuilding. So I had that muscular base. And then it's really more about dieting. And the dieting phase really depends on how much fat you have to lose. I think probably like four, five months was good for me. I had to lose maybe like 15 pounds or something. It really depends. But um, I think I rushed it my first prep. I thought I could do it in 12 weeks. But losing weight that fast for me was really, really hard. I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. And I needed more time. So it kind of depends like how much you're willing to diet and how much fat you need to lose. So what I, I really wanted to ask you what it's like to kind of relate to your own body in this way. Um, because we talk a lot about uh, the beauty industry on this podcast. We talk a lot about the way that like kind of wellness culture affects modern society and just sort of the disembodiment of the modern female experience. But it seems like 
this type of relationship to your body and this type of self-awareness feels very different from the awareness that like skincare routines enact on people. It feels like more, it it feels more like poetic in a way. Uh, And I wanted to ask you like what your experience was like um, relating to your body in this manner. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's super embodied. You're, you're really in your body and it can actually border on like psychotic. (laughs) Like I don't think focusing on your body that intensely for that long is necessarily a good thing. It can drive you a little bit insane when you're really micromanaging every aspect of your body. And there's certain things you can't control in the gym, but that you want to control or want to change. And I think that process can be really negative when you start dwelling on it. But the act of just fitness and building muscle and when I when I started lifting I started CrossFit I felt like so empowered like so strong and you're making changes so rapidly like week to week you're like oh my god this is amazing you become like obsessed with what your body can do and I don't think I'd ever really felt that before I just have a question about uh what was kind of the transition of when you were like had a corporate job and were just like doing fitness on the side to like making it a full-time thing and how did that interact with just like also your internet presence because I feel like fitness internet is such like a big part of the internet as a whole like if the internet were a map I feel like fitness content would take up like a relatively a lot of space (laughs) it's so true so after grad school I started working as a management consultant which is a pretty high burn job, like a lot of hours. I was traveling Monday through Thursday uh, to whatever city. And so I was working long hours, but this was the same time I discovered CrossFit and fitness. And so I like really, like my whole brain was focused on fitness. I could not focus on consulting. So I would get up sometimes like four in the morning. I remember like in being in Chicago and like walking in the freezing cold. So (laughs) going to Equinox and like, um, getting my workout in. And then like after work, you know, they'd want to have like, oh, you know, drinks with the client. I just wanted to go to sleep so I could go (laughs) get up early and train again. And that was just like this cycle. And it got to the point where I was like, all I think about is fitness. I don't want to do consulting anymore. (laughs) I just want to do fitness. And so I, I made the leap. And I think pretty quickly it dovetailed into social media because lifting culture at the time, like people were just filming themselves, especially CrossFit Mm -hmm. because you're doing these crazy lifts. And so I'm filming it and posting it and posting my progress and getting like so hyped on the validation and everything else. It, it really turned into a social media thing very quickly. Yeah. The, the social media culture of fitness is so fascinating to me just because I feel like they're constantly like, first of all, the language is like completely different. I feel like I'm always learning these like terms about the human body and like Mm -hmm. pre-workout and stuff. Um, (laughs) But it's also like the acceleration of it, I feel like is, is really insane. Like, I think in the same way that social media just kind of encourages extremism in so many directions, like you'll, I, I feel like I'm seeing people with like more crazy physiques than ever and like younger people and people doing these like things that are really dangerous. Do you feel like it's ever been hard for you to mediate that or like also just culture around like filming in public spaces? Like I feel like the gym is such like a weirdly gendered environment and the thought of it like really stresses me out. And when I see videos of the gym, I'm just like, like, how are you supposed to act in there? Like, I, I really don't get it. Yeah. 
so first of all, I felt I got to a point with social media where I've, I've almost like stopped creating. So by the way, I'm like not really a creator like I used to be. Part of that was, well, a lot of things, but the, the pressure to stay lean year round, mm-hmm. um, it's not realistic. So when, like old school bodybuilding, they would get in shape for a competition and then you have to put some weight back on in order to put muscle on. So you don't stay shredded year round. It's incredibly unhealthy. But with social media, I don't get engagement when I'm a little bit have more fat on my body. Like it just, oh, it was crazy. like the fact. Yeah, it was so frustrating. That's crazy that and that's it, like noticeable and like quantifiable. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I it just like really frustrated me. And I, from bodybuilding, I had a ton of hormonal problems from being that lean. Like, especially female bodies, they don't like to mm-hmm. be shredded. And mm-hmm. year round, it's so bad for you. And that's just the standard now. Like to be a Fitzbo girl, you're expected to be shredded every time somebody sees you. Mm-hmm. And so that aspect of it was was impossible. As far as like filming in public, it's yeah, it's kind of a, a crazy scene now. I think my gym is a little more friendly to it. It's kind of like a hip gym, so mm-hmm. people aren't aren't too like stressed about it. If I was in like a like a more mainstream Lifetime Fitness or something, I would I would feel weird. I still feel weird, and so I try to film at home mostly, or mm-hmm. like the back corner of the gym or outside, because it it is kind of a strange thing to do. That is something I wanted to ask you about. I'm. I just started going to the gym like nice. two months ago Congrats, for the I first time like in my life. It's Honestly, your impact. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally. I feel like we've like mentioned it because me and Sam both started kind of going to the actual gym for the first time. And I feel like Yay. we definitely referenced you as our that makes kind me so of happy. inspiration. <laughs> I know. No, I, need to, I need to start. Us. I'm next yeah. up. <laughs> That's what's kind of interesting about the gym is the social contract of the gym feels very obscure to the average person. Like I kind of, when I first started going, I just would walk on the treadmill and observe how everyone else was acting and try to mimic that. Mm -hmm. But do you feel like there's like different social contracts for different types of gym? Like gyms, like you mentioned, you go to like a cool gym that feels a little bit more comfortable. Like what, what do you feel like that difference is? And like, how would you describe the social contract of the gym for those who are novices? <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, I totally understand the intimidation, but nobody should feel intimidated because, you know, gyms are for everybody. And I've never once looked at someone who's a beginner and like laughed, you know, it's mm-hmm. you're like most people who love fitness are so excited to see beginners in the gym. And I think our gym, like the more bodybuilding culture gyms are a little bit more social, maybe like people will offer to spot me, like people will come over and compliment my physique. And it's like, there's that kind of culture, I think, in in these style gyms, whereas in a more traditional like lifetime fitness or something, it's very like, stay in your lane and don't be too noisy, don't drop weights, like all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Whereas I think it's actually... When you're in a more niche gym, you might feel more intimidated, but I, I would say you shouldn't because it's actually more just like go for it, like have fun and lift some heavy weights and like do your thing. Okay, that's good to hear because sometimes I get nervous at the gym and like, um, but that's what I find also really interesting about the kind of, um, I think there's like a, I go to like a 24 hour fitness and mm-hmm. it's 24 hours. I've been kind of late at night before and there's always very strange characters like people dancing and singing and grunting and like it's always the same people love that Um, and I have like friends that go to this gym and they also see these same like characters and stuff and I just find it interesting like the gym is like a public space and a space for like conviviality or something 
but also seems like such an individual and almost like internal psychological place for you to like kind of face yourself and analyze like your own strength like spiritually and physically you know mm-hmm. I just have always been I, I wish I had there was like if anyone knows any like architectural criticism on like the sp- gyms as spaces please let me know because they always it's, do like, feel a bit random it always is just like let's just see how we can like put this equipment in here you know yeah um, well I sent that one essay um Mark Grief Greif yeah, against I Mark Grief. yeah yeah, yeah. And he he has a lot of thoughts on like how you're doing these private things in public. And I think he finds it like shameful or something. Oh. But I don't know if I agree with that. It's like I've never thought about it. It is a private space in terms of like it's, you know, you're you're very focused. So you can't be like aware of everything around you. You're like kind of in the moment, which I like. And it, maybe it's weird to do that while other people are around. But I I don't find that like necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I don't know. I enjoy the, the 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 like the having other people around, even if you're not talking to them. I enjoy yeah, it. I agree. I agree. I think it requires some humility to start a s- situation like that. And then you linked the Kathy Acker essay a uh, mm-hmm. kind of a while back, or maybe like a month ago. And that's something I found really interesting about her essays. Like, there's this sort of like destruction that has to happen whenever you're strength training. Like, very literally, like your muscles are breaking down so that they can build up more. Mm-hmm. I actually think there's something yeah really interesting about I think specifically our generation with the the private versus public with exercise where I feel like one of the reasons I it took me so long to go to a gym was because I was on that blog a lotties you know when I was like 16 like doing that sort of thing but I actually feel like because that was such a big option in some ways it um made me think that yeah I like would get really intimidated at the gym but then when you go there and you actually see people kind of at all levels of fitness and you might see someone who's like super fit who's just like walking on the treadmill you know what I mean it's like that sort of thing Mm -hmm. I think that like really makes it less intimidating almost to see how everyone does something differently I guess yeah and when you see like you that's why I'm saying like go to the gym and look at everyone else like most people aren't that fit you know like it's really nothing to be intimidated of Mm -hmm. it's always I I follow some of these like fitness girl accounts or like some of these fitness influencers who will like go to the gym and like vlog as a group and it just seems so intimidating like I don't know what I would do if I went to the gym and saw like all of these jacked like 19 year olds (laughs) who are like (laughs) vlogging together it it has a real like Hunger Games vibe where they're like training and then there are those like tributes that are really good that is funny yeah I feel like it's it's some it feels more shameful to work out and in your like room <laughs> yeah, no, I, like yeah. that's that's definitely been like some of the worst times where i've just been like what am i doing like why am i doing a plank on the wooden floor yeah. like, with, no- with nothing around like i just feel weird yeah um, you're like totally. doing you're doing like burpees in like a dorm room <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess this is like something that is worth talking about what was that like ab workout that everyone was doing from tiktok um, like during chloe the yeah Ting? like the chloe ting yeah, yeah. um do you feel like during covid there was like a marked shift in online fitness content and like how do you think it affected people's body image or just like approach to fitness is there anything that you've noticed well there was definitely the rise of the home fitness Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that 
like introduced more people to fitness. Like if it was left less intimidating to kind of go that route and, and do like Chloe Ting's ab workout at home or something, like maybe some of those people now go to the gym because they were like, you know, oh, this is not so scary. But like it got to a point where it was getting really silly, like the home workout content, like, you know, like lifting water jugs and Mm. whatever doing like stupid things around the house because you didn't have a gym <laughs> like there yeah. was a point where I was like okay enough of the home fitness like can we just go back to lifting weights again please yeah walk a marathon around your, your house yes. type of vibe. <laughs> oh <laughs> no yeah that that is um interesting to think about like uh I, I think there is there's probably such a benefit as well to just have that uh, privacy that you mentioned uh, or that internal privacy amongst people in the gym I feel like that probably aids your like the whole experience of trying to like build yourself up and um, relate to yourself in like a unique manner it also like yeah when you're at home you have your like distractions of home and when you think about like Kathy Acker's essay like the language of bodybuilding how it's like really all-encompassing you're you're just counting reps you're breathing you're focused on failure you don't you can't be thinking about like oh, my closet looks messy or like mm -hmm. whatever. I needed to go do some dishes. Like you need to be like in the zone to have that sort of feeling that Kathy Acker has. Yeah. This is um, something I wanted to ask you about as well as there's so much literature about male bodybuilding or, or just in general male, I guess, strength exercises and, and um, almost like a, what do you call it? Like spectator fighting sports. And that all seems kind of related because it's all, focused on building muscle, but there's like very little that I can find personally at female bodybuilding discourse. And a lot of it seems to, or uh, literature and a lot of it seems to come from female bodybuilders kind of talking about their own experiences. And I wanted to know if you had any recommendations related to this and why you think maybe this is something that's swept under the rug. That's interesting. So you think people like are more likely to analyze and critique male bodybuilding, but not so much female bodybuilding? Yeah, well, that was what I, because when I was researching, I really, it seems like such a psychological activity. It also feels very ancient. So I figured that there would be a lot of cultural theory surrounding mm -hmm. female bodybuilding. Um, and I found a great deal about male bodybuilding. A lot of it had to do with like the homoeroticism and sort of yeah. men looking at each other's bodies and admiring them. And um, and a lot of it, obviously, about like uh, kind of like, like gladiator Roman era and but there was very little about female bodybuilding, and I found that a lot of the cultural theory surrounding it was professors or writers that were women who were bodybuilders, like, talking about their own experiences. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I wouldn't – because I obviously love reading and love finding stuff, and it, I haven't really found a lot on female bodybuilding. And I think – well, one, it's, like, female muscle just isn't celebrated in our mm -hmm. culture, like – historically and even now it's maybe getting slightly better but like you look at um even female muscle in in film I made a post a while ago like literally the movies with muscular women you can like count on one hand like truly muscular not just like Angelina Jolie like looking fit as a mm -hmm. Tomb Raider like she didn't actually have any muscle you know like real bodybuilding muscle and there's mm -hmm. never really been a mainstream actress that has you know, mm -hmm. we'll be like, oh, Jessica Biel has nice arms. I'm like, yeah, but there's, that's, that's that. And then there's like bodybuilders. And mm -hmm. we have real bodybuilders in male cinema, you know, Arnold. And also like, I mean, men have been known to get pretty jacked for roles, even like Zac Efron. And mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. never seen a female get jacked like that for a role. 
And I mean, part of it, it's very hard for women to get jacked. It's not, it takes a long time. Um, and some of those men are using steroids. And when women use steroids, it's not usually, um, you know, as mainstream, mainstreamly appreciated. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just this like taboo around female muscle because it's one, it's like so rare. And if you do see it, it's associated with steroids, which is a bad thing. Um, so I think that's probably why it's just still like a cultural taboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's relatively newer, like in comparison with the history of male bodybuilding. Like, yeah, I just read that it was like kind of the seventies was when the first official like female bodybuilding competition was held. Yeah. If you've seen like, um, Lisa Lyons, have you seen her? Like Robert Maplethorpe did portraits of her. Oh. She was one of like the first female bodybuilders. And if you look at photos of her, it's, pretty i mean she's fit but like compared to bodybuilders now she's very small she had a a natural she didn't do steroids like natural fit physique and that was like so crazy that like even maplethorpe had to take portraits of her because it was like oh my god a female (laughs) with muscle like this is yeah there is something that like first i was obsessed with like old timey like strongman like circus vibes of muscular Mm. people and like the vaudevillian aspect of it because it is really crazy that like in the early 20th century if you were really muscular you could literally just like be a full-time muscular person on display like as a job um mm-hmm. where now we used to see like guys walking like down the street looking like that all the time mm-hmm. yeah there's just been such like a i think back then like people didn't really have as much free time to exercise mm-hmm. and so if you were like really devoted to that you probably had some kind of like unique situation but I don't know. I'm I'm really looking forward to like, this is one of my long-term trend forecasts is that I think we're going to see like a major acceptance, particularly in the fashion world of like really muscular women. I hope so. (laughs) Editorially, like it's just 10 times more interesting than like a lot of stuff that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And there's like obviously been like in, in terms of like body positivity and like diverse body types, usually that just means like fat people. (laughs) Like you, you never really see like, really muscular people on the on the runway but I think it's even like more of a challenge for for couture because it's such like an extreme type of proportion but I think that's Mm -hmm. like so cool like I always think of that photo of Brad Pitt where he's like wearing a dress and he's really jacked it's like one of the greatest fashion images ever like I think muscular people just like look incredible in clothing um so I'm looking forward I would to that. love to see that. I think it is really hard to dress a muscular body, but I feel like that makes it more of a challenge. Yeah. You know? I, and I would love to see people do it more. Like even – I saw like Simone Biles. Like I've seen her, you know, people try to dress her. And sometimes people nail it and sometimes it looks terrible. It's like yeah. stylists need to learn how to do that. It's, it's a unique challenge. Yeah, because sometimes it can just look so awkward. Like I just always think of like the meme of when female basketball players – have to like wear a dress or something and they just look really awkward (laughs) i I really want to become like a muscular woman stylist like it's my dream (laughs) um but i know alexander wang has been casting a lot of kind of more extreme athletes in his campaigns in the past few years which is interesting to me because i feel like we've seen a lot of kind of references to sport um in the past past few years in fashion but he's the only person i've seen who's like actually using like um kind of athletes that are at the top of their game and Mm -hmm. therefore have like a different body type so it's been really cool to see that i also feel like kim kardashian would do this for skims like i feel like she would do that 
I love that. <laughs> Wait, true. I think she really would because she's been utilizing. Yeah, yeah, she's been like really killing it with some of her campaigns. The creativity that it would require, you know, I think is like really important to kind of reinject into the fashion world when silhouettes have felt extremely basic uh, the past couple of years, especially. So yeah, we're we're calling for more <laughs> inclusion of muscle in yes. on the runway. <laughs> Um, and also kind of anticipating it. Because I also agree with Alexi that this is kind of a logical conclusion um, of things that we've been saying. Especially, you know, broquette, that type of thing. Um, yeah, that's and- a... Oh, sorry. Um, while we're on the topic of fashion, I definitely want to talk about, like, active wear and shifts that we've seen in that over the past few decades. First of all, like, the widespread acceptance of workout clothes as, like, normal outfits, which is something mm-hmm. that I feel like we've talked about a lot. But, yeah, it just seems like what what's going on in, like, the active wear fashion world is so divorced from what's happening, like, in the fashion world proper. And it's it's really hard to find examples. Like, you're an example to me of, like, a fashionable and really fit woman, but I feel like so many like fitness content creators just wear like leggings I don't know like it it just seems like the fitness community is somewhat limited when it comes to interpretations of personal style and yeah we definitely want to talk about the overlap between active wear and like shapewear with certain viral mm-hmm. leggings that will like make your waist smaller or make your ass look fat do you have any thoughts on that sorry i feel like i'm not asking questions very well well i think it'd be interesting um one thing i i mentioned in our notes the the rise of yoga pants like you guys probably remember this because this was like what 2010s or something yeah um it was like when they first came around like people thought that they were like so sexy right Mm -hmm. like they were banning them in schools and stuff and like now i don't i don't think they have that reputation right like doesn't like every housewife wear yoga pants to the grocery store and mm-hmm. people yeah. aren't like dying of lust over it like I don't think <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and then like but then they became sort of uh attacked for being like too sloppy right and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden like the whole world is going to fall apart because people are wearing yoga pants to work <laughs> yeah which I think was interesting I don't know do you guys think that actually played out like do you think we've seen like a big drop in style since the invention of the yoga pants I just wish there was more creativity in the athleisure space. Mm -hmm. But I think also what we talked about this with Perla during our live episode, that there's something really interesting about like the sculptural idea behind a lot of like active wear. And also it encourages a lot of like accessorizing. So I think it's more of a thing where it's like, if you are a stylish person has like a really strong sense of personal style, you can like really swag it up. And like, like this is something that you've done super well that we've always been obsessed with is like you have accessorized like so many of your outfits, like so interestingly. I remember when you laced up your exercise shoes, were they boxing shoes with (laughs) ribbons? Yeah. Wrestling shoes. Wrestling shoes. That was brilliant. And so it just, it, I think it just depends because I think, I don't think it's going to bring an apocalypse of fashion. Um, I think it's just going to change the way we relate to like kind of fabric and textile and daily dressing. But it's very American to 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 have kind of like a casual uniform for the day to day. Yeah, I think the issue that people had was just like the misappropriation of yoga pants for like not doing yoga. So more just like 
the preference for comfort being so strong and just like yeah people who like weren't fit wearing yoga pants um (laughs) which I don't think people appreciate but also yeah I remember this being like a really strong point of like public discourse at my middle school and guys just being like you can literally see everything when a girl's wearing yoga pants like I think it was just that like the tightness or something which you Mm -hmm. like skinny jeans were also a thing at the time so I think it's like also just a really weird it like people were acting like that texture of like textile was invented that year but yeah it's crazy how how that played out I mean there was the whole like Emma Chamberlain flared leggings thing um maybe like two years ago where millennials were like those are yoga pants and it was like a generational (laughs) divide but she was just styling them with like a sweater so yeah yeah. it was kind of the beginning of people bringing back 2000s athletic styling with that Emma Chamberlain outfit she was wearing like a wide headband as well but my question when I was putting together kind of a little bit of a timeline of how I saw athleisure and kind of sport sport clothing evolving over the past I guess 20 years I was thinking about like okay well what did people wear to the gym in the 2000s if they weren't wearing yoga pants and leggings or were they still wearing those because it feels like like Alexi what you guys are saying like there was such a big yeah kind of controversy around these garments and it's like it felt like they were invented that year yeah that's a good question I I wore like I mean we had like dance pants because I had a dance background which (laughs) was similar to a yoga pant but it was a slightly different material and then like track pants and like Mm -hmm. Adidas pants and I mean running culture was already strong right so like running shorts were mm-hmm. big in the gym and like bike shorts were, were big yeah bike well. shorts were around so yeah I'm assuming that leggings were around I mean we had like in the 80s they had leggings right mm-hmm. so yeah. I don't think it was like totally new I don't I don't know why maybe just because Lululemon made them sexy it had this like weird I don't know um explosion I think it might <laughs> yeah. have been the rise of like it, not the legging itself but like the styling because I feel like it can actually be pretty like Princess Diana, like vintage to wear leggings. But I think what happened is like girls wearing normal tops with leggings, like crop tops mm. or like just like not like a giant shirt over it that would like cover your butt. I think that was the main issue. Yeah, because I think there was some kind of like weird stipulation in our dress code that yeah. was like, you can't wear a crop top with leggings because then you're essentially just like not wearing enough clothes (laughs) but that was like kind of crazy because I I remember it actually shocking me when I was young but maybe it was because I was like a teenager and more easily scandalized but these days just like I don't even blink an eye it's like very strange how that did cause like some sort of crisis um that they were so overtly sexual um do you have what is your experience with this Sarah like what are your thoughts on the psychological like uh witch hunt panic over (laughs) yoga pants (laughs) in the early 2000s well yeah I think I think it's less about the pant and the fabric. It's like, I mean, people are just like lamenting the loss of style, right? Like Mm -hmm. it became synonymous with people just not trying. And I think like before we had all these comfortable fabrics, like even if you didn't want to try, you were still wearing like pleated pants or whatever. Like my grandma always wears like a sweater and a collared shirt because that's like what she grew up wearing. Um, but it's been like a long process of this like sportification of our wardrobes, right? Like mm-hmm. I think so many materials came from sport and, you know, nylon, lycra, even wool sweaters and things started out as sport 
So it's like sportswear now is like just how we dress. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the yoga pants were like just part of that trend. And it's, we're going to continue to see it. Like <laughs> some of the stuff, some of the men's products today, like men, I think are especially susceptible to this marketing, like comfort over style, mm. you know, like the untuck it shirt or mm. my husband just sent me one that's like, button downs but they don't actually button they have a zipper behind the button oh my god God. (laughs) and so it's like okay they blame women for yoga pants i'm like men have been doing this stuff for a long time like they hate getting dressed up you know it's true true. they're so utilitarian exactly and they also like i I noticed this too i think the target marketing works really well on them too this is super random of me to say but like i realized that like the average man the way that they choose their wardrobe it like it comes to them they don't go and seek it like I feel like every man just has like a million t-shirts from like fun runs and like marathons (laughs) and like random events that they went to and then like my dad buys like button-ups at gas stations you know what I mean because he's like that's a cool button-up and yeah I feel like a that sort of target advertising would work really well on men that's a very random sidebar sorry (laughs) no that's that's Uh, real I was just thinking so it feels like, yeah, there was that moment, Sarah, like you said, of a feeling of sloppiness from the kind of public opinion about yoga pants. But then when I was looking back at the kind of mid to late 2010s, it feels like people tried to really kind of make athleisure more formal. Like when I looked up like athleisure 2015, it was like Gigi Hadid wearing joggers with a blazer. And it, it feels like fashion saw an opportunity to basically kind of streamline the yoga pant and almost make it like business casual and I thought that was really interesting because obviously when people talk about athleisure they kind of peg it to like those those kind of mid 2010 years as when it really became like formalized as I guess like a market segment and category and then obviously we had like Fenty X Puma and uh, you know Yeezys and Adidas Superstars and Stan Smith's um but yeah I feel like that's where the public opinion started to change slightly and then obviously with the pandemic, it grew a bit as well. But did you also kind of notice that kind of being active in that space? I think so. And I think we should probably also shout out like streetwear for influencing athleisure in a big way because they were styling, you know, athletic clothing, you know, first and better than, than everybody else. And I think, yeah, like 2010s is maybe when streetwear started to kind of blow up. Right. And, Mm -hmm. And those styles also were becoming more mainstream. Yeah, that's so true. I didn't even think about that, especially in terms of uh, athletic trends that we've been viewing. I feel like that was like a blind spot that I had randomly is that I did forget that streetwear was so sporty and jockey Mm -hmm. in this interesting way. Um, I think, Alexi, you had did you have a note about kind of like the jockiness of culture uh, or kind of a... Uh, I I think that was me was that you oh with the Jack Antonoff thing oh yeah um I guess that's like yeah kind of changing pace a little bit but so Sarah as you may know we have been tracking a phenomenon known as broquette in the past couple months which is basically the idea of kind of the early 2000s American jock coming back into culture through fashion with some interesting designers and Miu Miu's most recent collection just I think last week really referenced kind of an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog look. At the same time, there was also this article that was published um, by a writer named Shad D'Souza in The Face. He's actually, I think, a listener, so shout out Shad. But which was profiling Jack Antonoff 
and in it kind of Jack Antonoff's kind of position was that like all of kind of the creative people in coastal cities and kind of urban centers are actually just like jocks in disguise now and there's kind of been like a death of the nerd which is was a very controversial statement and so yeah I guess like I guess we're just kind of trying to parse through like is there going to be a return of the jock in a real in a real way or yeah what that looks like coming up I've noticed a little bit of like some of the more like arty accounts I follow like they're starting to like lift weights and post about it Mm. and stuff and I'm like I think lifting weights can actually be kind of nerdy um so I don't know if he's saying jocks are becoming the cultural leaders or cultural leaders are becoming jocks but um either way I've noticed it a little bit but I'd be curious because you guys are working in creative industries like are are you seeing this with your colleagues is this real I don't know I feel like my like people I know are still really big on like the fitness class like equinox and like soul cycle wave but almost in like an ironic way but I feel like I feel like they need to get into the old-timey strongman vibe I think it's, it's just like a I just know a lot of girls I, I guess a lot of gay guys I know um are really into lifting but I think mm-hmm. that they do have like a sense of irony about it um and like weird sexual tension with other guys in the gym yeah, yeah like I have like a question about you mentioned how lifting weights can be somewhat nerdy. And this is something I've noticed. Um, and I really wanted to ask you about this because I've known a lot of people who've lifted before and they're always like the most well-read, super interesting, really kind of like erudite people. Mm-hmm. Also, I like came across Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, which is like a huge book, like enormous of like the history of bodybuilding and he just wrote it, you know, and I was like, this is crazy because I feel like um, there's some sort of tie of like, between bodybuilding and intellectualism. And maybe that's why we're seeing that overlap with cultural leaders and their interest in maybe more sporty activities. But I wanted to ask you what you think that connection is between kind of intellectualism and strength training. Yeah, I think it could be like once people realize you know maybe nerds are particularly like feeling that the jocks have like a one-up on them because they're strong and then the more you like look at it you realize it's a science before anything else and Mm -hmm. it there's tons and tons of scientific research like you start like digging on pubmed i mean just um, endless amounts of information that regular jocks would not really want to bother parsing through and so now we're seeing like there's influencers now who are like science nerds. Like they just spend their time reading these scientific research on bodybuilding, fitness, et cetera, and coming up with like great insights for the community. And it's almost like the nerdier people are the ones who are going to get more fit because they have the better knowledge mm-hmm. of the science. And so I think it kind of maybe attracts people like, oh, I could actually do something better than the jock because I'm going to actually put in the research and do the time mm-hmm. to learn it. Yeah, I think it's also like a high agency person thing to do. (laughs) It's also, I feel like culture is stepping away from like in the 2010s and also like a lot of millennial culture, there was just like such a glorification of like self-deprecation and like self-destructive behavior. And I think we're just kind of getting away from that as a culture a little bit, which is interesting because I feel like it's making people like a little bit more judgmental. Like I feel like it, it used to be more accepted to be like pretty confessional about having like an unhealthy lifestyle 
but I've just noticed that becoming like a lot less fashionable. Like people are really willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think like the alt-right is very like pro bodybuilding, like anti-soy boy kind of culture? Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's like another thing I wanted to talk about is like the rise of within like a certain class. And we're even seeing this with like our like technocratic ruling class, like Elon Musk and Mark yeah. Zuckerberg resorting <laughs> to like physical battle, which never happened, sadly. <laughs> And I think that, yeah, like the the fact that so many influencers suddenly got into boxing to like resolve their internet beef, I think we are seeing this like rise of like mon- monkey brain, like getting yeah. to the, the base level of like aggression and conflict, which I kind of like because I, I like gladiator stuff. And also like the whole like Roman Empire thing, like how often do you think about the Roman Empire meme which is so funny to me because I feel like all of these guys are like oh I think about it all the time but they can't like they wouldn't be able to tell you when the Roman Empire like ended or began like they just are thinking about the movie Gladiator and like fighting (laughs) fighting with their shirts off and I I do think that appeal is is coming back like the the combat entertainment sphere but yeah it, it it's really fascinating to me there's definitely like a right wing emphasis on just like being strong but also in like a traditional way like do you do you know this guy soul bra have you have you Mm -hmm. seen his twitter he just started making clothes and he make he's making these like shorts for working out that are essentially like a really short loincloth looking like garment (laughs) and and it's so fascinating (laughs) to me because he's like this is like the optimal like traditional like roman empire thing to wear and i'm just like it looks so insane but i actually kind of like it um so i think that's like that's like it's the most creative thing that i've seen in like the activewear space recently it's like literally wrapping a towel around your waist type of vibe um yeah so but it does seem like that's very um it's all male dominated right yeah but it's kind of not the female side of that is to be more like wayfish and yeah. submissive. Yeah, it's also just like be strong enough to protect your woman type of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this- the female side is like following the diet. So kind of like returning to raw foods or like an animal based diet, but not necessarily investing into getting like a really strong body. Mm-hmm. The submissive thing is interesting because that's something I think we've talked about a lot personally is our kind of crisis of agency I feel like women are experiencing Uh, we've been talking about a lot lately about trying to re-empower women to kind of like have their own agency and to take control of their own destiny in their own lives you know um do you feel like um in a in a space that's like uh male dominated um do you what what kind of like uh advice do you have for like women who want to kind of like take control of like their agency because you seem like someone who's like really cracked the code on this. <laughs> well, I mean, in fitness specifically, I think like women should be strength training. Like women should be setting strength goals, like specific strength goals. It's super empowering to like be able to lift more than you could a week ago and, you know, setting targets and not just like going in and going through the motions, but actually like trying to hit specific numbers and mm-hmm. building strength, progressive overload, all of that good stuff, like do it proper. And we don't need to like have a separate like 
female coded fitness where we're doing like mm. low weight, high reps and aerobics and, and all of that, like just doing proper strength training. I think but women would benefit from like emotionally and physically, like you just suddenly feel like more in control of your body and of yourself when you start doing that. Mm-hmm. It's very good advice. I'm going to start taking that yeah. advice. I, Especially I think the this, numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, frankly, I feel like we have talked about like eating disorder content on the internet in like feminine spaces and just like mm-hmm. the rise of anorexia and the like woman-led spaces that that's created and I feel mm-hmm. like this is also going to be a shift because I feel like anorexia is more about what you don't do like you're just like it's quite passive and you're just like not eating um even though it like controls your whole brain and your life and I feel like yeah women need to step into the stuff that you actually can do rather than what you can't and we probably should acknowledge that the eating disorder to fitness influencer it's pipeline, so real like, yeah it's real it's strong and there's a lot of toxic stuff going out there in the fitness space so being like a you know discern whatever consumer of this content is important like you need to realize some of the stuff you're reading might be kind of toxic yeah that's true i, I think that's why we've we've always on on this podcast tried to emphasize like strength and ability more than like body. And I think that's something that strength training can really do is just like, it's not really about how you look. And like, unfortunately, a lot of girls, if you're like looking up workouts, it's like all about like how to shrink your waist and like how to spot train to get these specific body based goals. But I think focusing instead on like, oh, like, I just want to lift heavy stuff, like, and appreciating what you can actually do rather than how you look is kind of the way around that um yeah we're just mm-hmm. like pro we're so pro being strong <laughs> like yeah. we love it they're gonna guide wonderful. us on your app like collectively all our listeners are gonna start getting <laughs> so strong yeah it's such a weird time for like the shrinking and and spot treatment idea because i do remember obviously that was such a big thing with the rise of at home kind of gym content and like blog a lot of these in the 2010s but now it's kind of progressed into people getting like trap botox and stuff to like shrink their traps down so it's like gone beyond just being like oh like alexis ren workout to shrink your waist and like give you a bigger booty it's like yeah taking kind of drastic measures to achieve a silhouette from like atrophying your muscles yeah which is i think it's interesting because it's like it's almost because people finally got smarter and they realized you can't shrink things unless the only thing you can shrink is like by atrophying a muscle right you don't shrink your waist by doing sit-ups like when you work out a muscle it gets bigger right it does not get smaller and so i think maybe people are starting to, to get smart which then is going to lead to a rise in plastic surgery you know for better or worse because it's mm-hmm. like there are things you can't do in fitness. You know, your yeah. butt's only going to get so big from fitness. If you really want a BBL ass, then you need to get a BBL. <laughs> like it's, yeah. there's some reality there, but it's, yeah. yeah, there's, I guess, a dark side to people kind of getting smart. That's, yeah. it's it's so fascinating to me, like the rise of like plastic surge dot women who then like will go on to make fitness content when they like obviously have gotten work done. And I feel like it's not, it's surprising how many people can't like spot that and can't spot that like there are mm-hmm. results that are just simply not attainable through working out that literally needs to be cracked down on by the government. But uh, yeah, this is something that I'm also really interested in is like the overlap between fitness content and not like actual sex work, but just like kind of sexual <laughs> consumption like on the internet. Like Wait, I yeah. think this is such a niche, like especially when I was like in high school, these 
Instagram body fitness models in the 2010s, like Summer Rae, who were just like pretty anti-fashion, like just would like post thirst traps and guys would like follow them under the guise of like inspiration and self-improvement. And it was even like a meme, like in the past few years of girls like going into their boyfriend or their crushes following and being like, oh my God, he's following Summer Rae or just like confronting men about following this type of account and then just like having this very battle of the sexes conversation about like no I just follow her for like meal prep inspo but it's just like (laughs) it's very blatant I feel like it's really highlighted like girl versus boy internet um women have been really like like Summer Rae is like the number one enemy of like women worldwide for some reason like I just even last year people have been making these videos like impersonating her and being like she's so stuck in 2016 like I don't get why guys like her like she's so cringe and so yeah I'm I'm really fascinated by this like niche of fitness models who are obviously like pandering to a certain audience do you feel like that is noticeable or like how do you navigate that in your own life (laughs) it's very real i mean it'd be interesting to see like what percentage of fitness influencers have an OnlyFans because Mm -hmm. i feel like it's a lot yeah (laughs) there's just like that direct through line between fitness and like bikini modeling yeah it's kind of a false construct because people who are really fit don't really look like bikini models like Mm -hmm. it takes a very specific body type to look like that in a bikini you know and when i think of like true fit bodies i think of like crossfit girls and they're like they don't look like Summer Rae, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but that's like definitely in the 2010s where fitness influencing started. And I think there's still an element where you have to be sexy to have a big following. So I don't think it's like completely stopped by any means. And I think like the rise of BBL culture, now you're seeing the fitness influencers who have just naturally big asses or who actually have BBLs. They're like mm-hmm. winning the influencing game. And it's like, it's so annoying because <laughs> it's not through fitness that they've achieved these booties. It's just like, good genes but Mm -hmm. that's like whatever what I guess what people want and I think girls want it too because they want to look sexy so some of the male gazy ones like still appeal to females because they they want to see themselves like that but I maybe there's been more like evolution I don't think like you could have a summer ray get big today maybe yeah I think so too it's also it's so much about like but it's kind of crazy like it's the number one evidence of like that shift in culture is like the rise of fitness models and just like specific styles of posing and like these thirst trappy like squatting videos or just like (laughs) videos that you can tell are designed for the male gaze where it's just like all of these exercises are just like you zooming in on your butt um type of vibe um another thing i wanted to talk about is i feel like i have noticed just among like nerdy men like a a strong attraction to like muscular women like in the comment sections of like a lot of muscular women I follow they're just like these kind of anime gamer types who have like a weird humiliation fetish and are just like step on me or I think just want to be like dominated by strong women and this also just seems like a a major cultural vibe this is like, do you have any thoughts about this or have you yeah, experienced I mean, this I in have, your audience at all? Yes. I mean, so such a big portion of the consumers of fit women are like fetishists mm-hmm. and I yeah. hate it. <laughs> like, I mean, like some of them are nice, you know, it's great to have their support, <laughs> but like, 
<laughs> I've gotten contacted by some weirdos. Like, mm-hmm. just one example. I got an email from a high school wrestling coach in Chicago who wanted to fly me out and wrestle me. I was oh like, well, you should be teaching high school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's just like when you're doing something, like for me, when I'm doing like a serious fitness thing and then I get a comment, it like kind of demeans what I'm doing because yeah. you're making it sexual. And I was like, I'm not making it sexual, so stop. <laughs> so I, I hate that aspect. And it can be, yeah, quite violating. There's a there's a CrossFit girl who's known for being like super muscular and someone uploaded a video of her riding a bike just I think she was like leaving Starbucks, riding a bike. They put it on Pornhub. Like, and it's like she was just oh in her body running an errand and you guys turn it into pornography. Like that's so yeah. gross and inappropriate. <laughs> well, that seems to be – you linked that really interesting Vice article on the intersection of sex work and bodybuilding and how some women, they actually like participate in like certain websites and stuff where men pay them to like wrestle. And that seems like a really – you know, where, where I think it's almost like a, where homoeroticism is like a point of like kind of controversy and then interest in male bodybuilding. I think sex work and the intersection of that with female bodybuilding seems really like kind of a similar thing that I feel like we should think about more. And uh, do you, what, what do you feel like, um like what, what do you feel like drives this sort of thing? Like, is it like these men specifically uh, they they don't feel like they have a space to be vulnerable and this type of femininity gives them that type of space. And like, do you think it's also like that female bodybuilders are just paid less? And so there's more opportunity to kind of like, um, I don't know, like tempt them with like some sort of money so they can support their craft. Sorry. That's yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Both. I think, I mean, it's very like BDSM, like wanting to be dominated. It's the yeah. same sort of drive. I think people see muscular women as like, you know, these dominating figures and then, yeah, the bodybuilding women who need to make a living, like, that is very real. There's been mm. a couple of exposés. I want to say it was Washington Post did a series of articles on uh, NPC, which is the biggest bodybuilding organization, and exposing them for engaging in this behavior. Like, <gasps> the owner of the NPC, like, his son was taking photos, and he had a website, like, a fetish website oh of some of the bodybuilders. And it's, like, a super, it's a big conflict of interest because yeah. he's a judge, and he owns the organization, and then these <gasps> women feel pressured to be photographed for his site. And so it's, like, this is, like, wildly inappropriate, and it's demeaning mm-hmm. to the women. Mm-hmm. And then this a similar thing came out with WBFF, the organization I was with. They The owner, someone found, like, an old um, website that he had that was a fetish website, and he was peddling muscular women which again it's like so demeaning mm-hmm. to the women in our sport mm-hmm. so yeah but i think it's an easy way to make money when you're muscular because you can't do when you're really muscular you're not doing conventional modeling and so mm-hmm. bodybuilding doesn't pay anything you've dedicated your whole life to this thing um mm-hmm. and, and men do it too i know a lot of straight men who have very homoerotic only fans because mm-hmm. there's a big audience for that and male bodybuilders that do it oh wow that's really interesting i would yeah. i kind of didn't even think about like the male only fans vibe of that too um but that is like a weird it's like really tragic i think the the kind of intersection of sex work and fitness influencing because it does seem like such an easy way of empowering women and give them that sort of like a- agency that they really really desperately need in the modern day um and it, yeah mm-hmm. i think it's just really sad that that's the case you know and that so many people are consuming this content in a manner that can be very, I don't know, just just discrediting all of yeah. the sportsmanship surrounding this. That's why I feel like there's such a big 
like you you've noted this in our document like the disparity between male and female fitness and bodybuilding i feel like also just the rise of like gendered conflicts in gyms going viral mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like a higher demand for women only gyms but also like the fact that this is going on at the same time as like debates about trans rights like i feel like the gym has become such a political battlefield in mm-hmm. the past few years um but yeah i like that you noted also the the disparities in like payout with competitions if you wanted to talk about that too yeah if people aren't familiar so the, the biggest bodybuilding competition uh is the olympia mr and mrs olympia and the top male competitor last year won 400 grand was the top oh. prize and the top women, yeah, I think in every female category, the top woman got 50K. Oh, my God. It's a massive an difference. Enormous disparity. Because yeah. 400K, that's like a really high yearly mm-hmm. salary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you could kind of just do that full time in like 50K. Oh, God. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you can argue that the men are bringing more spectators, but I don't, I think I'm in the bikini division and I know that there was a huge amount of women following the bikini division. It was Mm -hmm. not, you know, I don't think it's that big of a difference between spectators Mm -hmm. and like the men, it's like, okay, they put themselves at more risk. They're on so many steroids and everything, but I still think it's just really not appropriate. The women are working just as hard. They're full time at this too, that they've committed their whole lives to bodybuilding. So I hate that. Uh, Wait, are you allowed to do steroids when you're competing? There's like no testing no not in not in npc which is the main federation there's Mm. there are natural federations but nobody follows them that's crazy can women okay this is like a kind of sidebar but i've literally never heard of women doing steroids like i don't know what the side effects are i feel like everyone is pretty familiar with like the effects of testosterone in men Mm -hmm. and how like your hormones get really messed up but can women do steroids and like do they do them and what happens yeah you guys should know because if you follow any bikini competitors you should probably know that they're taking steroids because Whoa. it's going to give you unrealistic expectations about your body oh, um wow. i would say yeah of the pros um maybe 80 percent of the bikini girls and that's the most feminine division mm-hmm. they are probably 80% are doing steroids. And then almost like 100% of the other divisions of the females are doing steroids. And the men, I'd say 100% all of the pros are doing steroids. Whoa. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's something to be aware of when you're comparing your body to theirs. And they've gotten really much more advanced. So there's not just one steroid, right? There's hundreds. Mm-hmm. And so they all do different things. And there are some that are going to be more dangerous than others, some that are going to be more masculizing than others. So anything that's like that's going to like grow your muscles, those are more dangerous. They have like male risks of having like male patterned facial features, hair growth, like things like that can happen from taking them. There's also steroids that make you skinny, right? Like now probably Ozempic will be used more, but traditionally they use something more like like uh clenbuterol, like speed, like things that are just going to like be very dangerous for you for losing weight. There's stuff that can make you look more dehydrated, right? Like uh, prescription diuretics are used a lot. Yeah. And those are kind of dangerous because the day of, you'll see people have like heart failure. Like people die at bodybuilding shows no, uh, from wait, the diuretics. What's, and- what's the benefit of looking dehydrated? Like what does looking dehydrated look like? 
it's a there's a debate about whether or not it makes your muscles look more popped because okay. if you have too much water underneath your skin it's going to make you look soft that's crazy. But if you're too dehydrated, then your muscles also shrink because they're wow. full of water too. So it's kind of a balance between how how dehydrated you want to be. But yeah, people can get extremely dangerously dehydrated at these shows. So wow, yeah, they're they've gotten really advanced now. There's SARMs I should mention. So um, those I'm trying to remember what it stands for. They modulate like very specific androgen receptors. So the idea is. Old steroids would target all your androgen receptors, which were more likely to make you look manly, change your jaw shape, whatever. Now they have like ones that are way more specific so they can target just the muscle growth without getting like a hairy face or whatever as a side effect. Oh my God. And so the girls now are taking these and Anavar is considered like a female androgen you can take and it's supposed to not have the same masculinizing side effects. But you really don't know. And so I don't take steroids. I think there's always a risk it's going to screw with your hormones. Um, don't recommend it, but people should know that girls are doing it because it mm-hmm. does help them achieve that physique that they have. Yeah. The supply chain of steroids is so fascinating to me. Like, can you just get them from a doctor? Yeah, I was like, thinking that too. There must be like a like medical do, aspect, do, right? Does someone offer them to you at the gym? Like, is it like an under the table thing? Like, I really just don't get how it happens. <laughs> Yeah, usually people find out about it through their, like their coach. Okay. So yeah. oh, I see. usually the coaches have a supply chain. They have like a compounding pharmacy. So it's it's like a gray area. Yeah. If you make it at a compounding pharmacy, it's like kind of legal, but it's not legal to like have it like to own it. But mm. so you want to find like a pharmacy that's trusted because a lot of these they'll test them and they're like don't even have what they say they have. Mm-hmm. And so that's also like a risky thing is like, what is your supply chain and where are you getting them? Because if you screw up your dosage, like you could die, like it could be very bad. Oh my God. Yeah. I think just the gray area-ness of it all has always been so intriguing to me because I'm like, I I think it's only in the past few years that I've realized like people have just been so much more open about steroid usage. And I, for some reason, thought that they were like illegal drugs, but it's like also so linked to just like pharmaceuticals. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like a major, not like life hack, but it's like some kind of weird loophole in like the law and medical worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is kind of biohacking. Like you can get into this stuff and do it more safely and more scientifically. Like it's kind of nerdy when you really start looking at like the chemistry of it all. Yeah, there's a lot of chemistry involved. That's mm-hmm. like a, interesting because there's, I feel like that's like also a common, this is unrelated to the strength, but the biohacking thing and the chemistry of it, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have that relationship with just like recreational drugs now just because the internet is a resource they really treat so many different things as like a science and kind of balancing things out going on forums that's like Mm -hmm. an interesting thing about the modern day is like everyone kind of being able to balance chemistry and Walter White like their own (laughs) kind of like stuff you know it's so gendered too I feel like it's really like hormonal balance is like the new like hot thing that I keep hearing people talk yeah. about yeah. and how it can like fix yeah. your whole life and it definitely has like so much right-wing overlap with like you know the original like soy boy thing like paranoia about estrogen and food and like estrogen in the water um yeah I feel like everyone's starting to get a little bit like schizo about their hormones but yeah I see a lot of like girl uh influencers just being like just acting like a hormonal balance is like something that you can achieve and that'll like fix your whole life which sure but like no one says how to get there like what what's yeah. that supposed to mean it's become such um, a content genre of its own yeah and it's also so tied to just like trad stuff because it's really connected to like making sure that you're fertile and like mm-hmm. um 
But is it, this is what I have a question about, because is it really, or are we just kind of like being fed the types of creators that kind of have that sort of, because Sarah, I wanted to ask you this, since you spend a lot of time in in exercise spaces and you probably have like a, know so many more people that do this type of stuff than we do. Um, Is that your experience, like at the gym, that people are more politicized in like bodybuilding spaces, or is that more like an internet Mm -hmm. phenomenon? That's, I really wanted to ask you that, yeah. I have probably more internet. I don't really feel a, like a politicization inside the gym. Yeah, yeah. I figured that because that's the thing is um, I see. Yeah, I think it's like a lot of fitness content needs an added like oomph in order to go viral, whether that be like a little bit of sexualization, a little bit of politi- politicization. I think a lot of times it's like a, when you give a dog like a pill and you have to put it in a piece of cheese. like. <laughs> Like, I feel like that's like what it takes to like get to pe- get people to work yeah. out is like click on something like intriguing and then kind of trick yourself into working out because you're like watching a bunch of clickbaity content. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it, all content has become clickbaity, but certainly fitness content has become extremely clickbaity. Yeah, partly why I kind of stopped doing it too. Yeah, well, it's a uh, yeah. I feel like um the reason why is because it is just really hard to get started and it can be kind of daunting to the average person. But we need to bring back the sort of like Jane Fonda e, kind of like I'm just like working out because I want to like wear like leg warmers and just like fit in and like dance to like cool music and like feel good about myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Who was that? The Seriously. gay guy who was like the '80s fitness trainer, Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I keep saying back. like women talk about the Tracy Anderson method on TikTok. Ugh. Which definitely, it does remind me of a little bit of what you were saying, Sarah, about like low intensity, high reps, even though it's obviously a different type of exercise. But I guess the Tracy Anderson method is quite a gendered form of fitness. She is my nemesis. Is she still popular? Yeah. Yes. No, she's having a, she's having a resurgence Renaissance right now. for sure. I, yeah. I, um, I actually had her DVDs and would do them. And I distinctly remember, she had Gwyneth Paltrow like do yeah. her intro. And uh, she said she you, you could buy – I think the DVD came with two three-pound weights. Mm-hmm. And she goes, women should never lift more than three pounds. Oh, my God. <gasps> and I'm like, literally <laughs> a baby weighs more than three pounds. So, like, shut up. That <laughs> because, is crazy. That is the dumbest advice <laughs> I've ever heard. And that was her whole thing was like, yeah, if you do high reps and low weight, then you'll you'll slenderize the muscle. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not how, like, physics work. Like, it's just <laughs> – yeah, you yeah. don't shrink muscles by training. You only grow them. Her oh, wow. content yeah. has become such a weird type – not necessarily her content, but, like, her, um, I guess, followers has become a weird type of clickbait in its own right because it's always women that are doing, like, a backbend over, like, I don't know, um, a chair or something, a folding <laughs> chair. So it has that, like, really weird element of – intrigue i guess but yeah i have been really interested to see how it will play out with women kind of flocking to her exercises again i guess it's part of kind of the 2000s nostalgia people like looking up to gwyneth paltrow in a new way again that sort of thing yeah just looking at her body type it's such like a 2000s yeah ideal like the kind of washboard abs but i don't I would be surprised to see if we if we went back in this direction. I feel like the obsession with like small waist and like large hips has really been so pervasive over the past few years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget one of you guys brought up this on a long time ago, like abs were really big in the two thousands, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. and it's true, when you have abs, you have more of a square 
physique you don't have big hips like narrow waist like it's like very different um and tracy anderson has that she's very square like yeah. doesn't have curves and she doesn't really have a big ass at all and we've really departed from that so now girls want their waist as small as possible so nobody has abs anymore that's what it yeah like. i feel like mm-hmm. it's it's quite healing a little bit because i feel like the obsession with flat stomachs in the 2000s mm-hmm. was like that's something that is really so unattainable for women and i feel like you know like my mom and all of her friends were just so obsessed with having a fat stomach and also the whole thing we talked about this in shoe diva maybe or i think i thought about it after like the 2000s thing of being like does this dress make my butt look big or like yeah. it's like not wanting to have a fat ass like it's so yeah. absurd to think about now <laughs> yeah, that's funny that is so crazy i remember that so and i i always catch that in kind of older movies and stuff like kind of like he said my butt looked fat or whatever and i'm just like mm. that is insane that we did such a 180 with that <laughs> yeah. like absolute 180 with that's that. really why i wonder like what's next i i do think it has to be like it needs to be crazy muscles for crazy times yeah that's yeah I, I think we've do you think we've peaked on like the booty contouring shorts like we've done the honeycomb fabric we've done like the seam up the butt crack it's crazy. The like, I, I can't believe like that really makes me feel like like the paranoia that people probably felt about yoga pants because I'm like it's literally obscene that you're wearing clothes in public that literally like are giving you a thong effect on your outside <laughs> clothes like it's just it's crazy but I don't think we can go anywhere else from I, there I like, really I don't know either. <laughs> I do think that's that true. it's gonna start being more normal to wear padding mm-hmm. like the Kylie and, Jenner dress oh, that she the just wore. yeah I, I think people are starting to get real about um because like the shapewear thing has kind of mm-hmm. the curtain has lifted on that like spanks have been a thing for a while and just like constricting garments and fajas and corsets and stuff but like even in k-pop where like being super super skinny is the goal like almost every female k-pop idol wears like obvious hip pads and so like i'm not saying this is a good thing because it's like obviously insane but i think people are going to start accepting that but what i'm thinking is like i would love to get one of those like muscle suits to wear under my clothes like a halloween style like muscle (laughs) padded like torso i think would be that would really elevate my look yeah i also think that i've been really getting into rocky recently um i love rocky i had a rocky phase last year well it probably was inspired by you sam but when he first starts training for his first boxing match he obviously wears his like iconic gray sweatsuit and i think Mm -hmm. is it converse or a very kind of simple utilitarian shoe low profile shoes oh my god i want to go to the gym wearing that like i want to go to the gym wearing a gray sweatsuit that says like the italian (laughs) stallion on it or something yeah i don't know that just i do think that's that's gonna be the wave my my friends have been talking about like like going to equinox like yoga class with a bunch of like stay-at-home moms who are wearing these matching sets and just wearing like a giant t-shirt and like really yeah. old shorts I think is really liberating I think also people need to start running wearing like a trash bag again that's the that... same vibe as the Rocky oh, yeah. yeah Jennifer Lawrence does it in Silver Linings playbook or no I think Bradley Cooper does it does. but she yeah. is yeah. running with him I don't know if the she's, science behind that him. is sound but it's like it has the same vibe as like cracking an egg on your hair type I guess speed. off the yeah. back of yeah. that Sarah what do you think about the concept of people talking about like sleeper builds a lot? Because thinking oh, about yeah, like wearing a big shirt to the gym, 
that reminds me a lot of people making sleeper build content does that mean like you have a nice physique but you're hiding it mm-hmm. yeah it's like a big clickbait genre like girls being like you would never be able to tell that it fit and then they like will like yeah. tighten their shirt behind their back and like their crazy build is revealed yeah um, oh that's interesting uh <laughs> yeah i guess that's just like clickbaity i mean when I'm at the gym, I do see people like commit to their fits because I live mm. in Houston and my gym doesn't have AC. <gasps> and mm, it's, you know, we had the hottest <laughs> summer like ever this year. And yeah. uh, I still saw people wearing like if they had a cute like cropped hoodie that was like <laughs> long sleeve, <laughs> they would still be wearing it or sweatpants with like a really tiny top is kind of like a look. Yeah. And I know that was hot as hell, like wearing those sweatpants. But and then oversized tees, like, yeah, the men are all wearing the like down to their elbow sleeve oversized tees and all of that. I think people are like committing more, you know, to style over comfort a little bit. Yeah. I, oh, that's really I'm so like sustainability pilled that I'm like, people need to be wearing some kind of DIY like muscle tank top. <laughs> like, you should only be wearing, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that if you spend a lot of money on like activewear, then you're going to want to wear it like in your real life which there's nothing wrong with that but i do i do really like the vibe mm-hmm. of wearing like like if i'm working out in a place that has no ac and i'm like suffering i want to be wearing like rags you know and like yeah. a loincloth essentially <laughs> yes. so you i'm very interested that you worked at a work were working at a gym in texas this summer with no ac does that have like some sort of physical benefit to work out yeah, like, a, does it have some sort of physical benefit to working out in the heat like that? Not really. No? Yeah, it's just the gym, this gym is really cheap, and it you feel tough. Like, mm-hmm. when you can actually, like, survive a workout in that heat, mm-hmm. you're like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, but, um, I mean, there's some adaptations. Like, if you're training in the heat, like a runner, you get heat adapted. So there's some, like, benefit there. Mm-hmm. Um you sweat more, but sweating more doesn't really do anything except lose water, which you'll regain. So there's not a real benefit there. It would definitely make you feel primal. I feel like. Exactly. I I always, there's so many, like the industrial aesthetic of gyms, especially in New York, like the concrete and like giant ceiling fan. And I also think CrossFit also has like these implements that are like a giant tire and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm very fascinated by that aesthetic. And I'm also, what was the other thing that I want to talk about in regards to like fitness aesthetics, like things that are marketed to the fitness community, I feel like have such a different aesthetic than what is going on and just like trends in general. Like it's the opposite of minimalism. It's this very like loud and high contrast and weirdly kind of like childish vibe like I always see these like giant jugs of protein powder pre-workout or like fitness oriented energy drinks that are like fruit loops flavored and are like the opposite of the kind of girly wellness minimalist vibe do you feel like that is gonna stay consistent I, I just like think about like Jake Paul and or is it Logan Paul who does like prime energy? Like all of these products have mm-hmm. such a specific vibe to me that is so like anti, maybe because I live in anti New York. Wellness. Yeah, it's anti-wellness, but yeah. it's also like anti-chicness. Like it's just, yeah, it's it's very interesting to me. Like it just gives me a really gas station um, vibe. I think I think we are seeing a shift. I think we'll continue to. I think 
that is an old tradition, like the pre-workouts having names that make them sound like illegal drugs, like mm-hmm. that, you know, like extreme Correct. anxiety, <laughs> like whatever they're called. <laughs> they're, they're making you feel like you're getting something crazy because they're trying to create this environment in the gym yeah. that's like outrageous. It's like everything and is I, called like gorilla, like crazy, yeah. crazy gorilla. Like it's like super glue <laughs> type branding. Yeah. Um, I think we're moving away from that. I think um, as women are getting more involved, I don't think they are super attracted to that. There's a little bit like in the bodybuilding space, like there's kind of almost a binge culture where it's like you were like, oh, let me eat this giant cupcake on camera. And like that is also kind of anti-wellness. And I I don't know exactly where that comes from. Maybe it's because we're so restrictive that it's like, yeah, a, yeah that you want to make a big scene out of binging or doing something unhealthy yeah that's always what I've thought about those products is that they always have flavors that are really like over the top and like sour candy or like birthday cake some random cereal and I'm just like why does protein powder have to have these like flavors like why can't it just be like apple or something yeah like it's just so it's such a celebration of like artificiality which is so mm-hmm. different than what we see in like goop style wellness spaces where everyone's just like drink celery juice and it'll like heal everything i also think pre-workout like i'm so confused by it just like steroids because i'm just like what is in it like does anyone know what's <laughs> what's in it and why it makes people feel like they're on drugs like it seems like legal drugs i always see these tiktoks of people like talking about how they're like when someone tries to talk to me after I've taken my pre-workout and I just want to like punch their face in. I'm like, what? Like that doesn't <laughs> seem normal. It's mostly just caffeine, honestly. Oh. There's, but in the past, they actually did have more hardcore stimulants, things that have since been banned by the FDA. Mm. So they used to have more crazy stimulants, and maybe now some, if they're not tested, might sneak some in there. Oh, yeah, wow. because they're all just like online companies, which is like yeah. the the lack of transparency really is intriguing to me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think you're going to see like, I want to say like Alani new and there's some oh, more yeah. feminized products that I think are going to, you know, come into the space. There's also more scientific based ones. Mm-hmm. I work with PE science, so they have science in the name and, mm-hmm. but they still have like fruit loops flavored stuff, and, <laughs> you know, but I think you're seeing like maybe Thorne nutrition as an example. They're very science based. Like they don't have any funky weird names and things. Yeah, so I think we'll see more of that. I bet we'll see kind of like a, a bloom nutritionification of like pre-workout and that sort of supplement in terms of like, I guess there's also, I, I wrote this down in the notes as well. Around the pandemic, I felt like there's a lot more kind of like Gen Z founded, I guess, female led activewear companies like Tala or Tala. And that that has a very kind of minimalist branding. So I wonder if it'll kind of come downwind from that, like you're saying. Also, another thing is like, it feels like cheat day content has really been cut down. I remember when I was when I was kind of in a bit of a fitspo phase in high school, I was really into watching, like you said, kind of maybe people who were very, very fit uh, share, you know, they're like 15,000 calorie cheat days or whatever it may be. And now that definitely seems like it's become a little less popular. Have you have you noticed that? I think so. I think it is this move towards wellness culture yeah. that we're seeing. And I think the clean girl aesthetic mm-hmm. did have an impact on mm-hmm. definitely on like uh, active wear, mm-hmm. right? We saw more minimalist, more neutral colors and that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on wellness culture as somebody who kind of exists in a fitness space? But I w- I've always felt bodybuilding and strength training feels very distinctly different aesthetically and almost like a 
in practice because there there gets to a certain point in strength training and bodybuilding where like utility and productivity and optimization are no longer relevant and it's more of just kind of like a celebration or an artful uh, appreciation of the human body and its limits um so what are your thoughts on wellness culture as somebody who exists in kind of an in-between space yeah there? i've kind of dabbled in both i think uh there is a big gap between them bodybuilding is not healthy as i've like said it's pretty bad for you so when you're in it you're like i'm actually i know i'm being unhealthy and i, I want to do something extreme and push my body to a, a limit and i'm not really paying attention to my blood panel but then you know it's temporary so you do have to circle back and take care of your health and i think actually getting blood testing done is now becoming pretty common in bodybuilding to do regularly to make sure that you are not killing yourself and staying mm -hmm. more in track of health so i think you're seeing a, a, that wellness element come into it a little bit more okay but, but i will say the like extreme wellness girl culture i mean i'm glad it's kind of dying out the like um, I don't know, just the clean girl, like over organizing everything mm -hmm. and it, that type of stuff. I just was never really into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it almost is like two sides of a similar impulse, which is, I guess, uh, really a commitment towards routine. But then I guess mm -hmm. with the clean girl thing, it was able to be aesthetized in such a, a grander scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The nutrition yeah, element definitely seems more like, female coded like I feel like all of the really uh like jacked guys who post about nutrition are just like macros like I'm just eating chicken and rice whereas girls are like I want, want to have a beautiful bowl of food yeah. something seriously happened with Chipotle in the past few years though like I went the other day and like <laughs> I I feel like it used to be so girl coded I went the other day yeah. and literally did not see a single woman come in or out oh for like 15 minutes it was crazy and it was wow. all guys going in and ordering like the most big and greedy like <laughs> <laughs> macro bowl or whatever <laughs> and just like yeah I, I think there was a while where like Jim Bros were posting like what I eat in a day and everyone was like why are you eating like food with no seasoning and just like oh. they still do that yeah I was I pulled up a video of this male bodybuilder I followed he was like here's my meal prep and he had like yeah he had some like unseasoned chicken breast <laughs> maybe some rice and then he put in like a raw piece of lettuce raw, raw spinach <laughs> no dressing and then like a tomato or something boy dinner and, put it in his, and i was like this is horrible yeah and when i the thing is like guys get away with it because if i when i posted food content like oh my god mm. the comments like if it doesn't look extremely appealing you just get roasted by people for your food so i was i used kind of stop posting it because it's like if your food isn't aesthetic as a female you're gonna get yeah you know, oh, that's so annoying i want you to keep posting your food content your protein though, waffles i need that yes <laughs> no they were so that was like the best thing ever because i actually randomly have gotten a lot of my personal daily recipes from fitness creators actually mm -hmm. also male creators like i have i got this like one really gross recipe for like chicken breast with red hot sauce and like ranch powder that like i make myself mm -hmm. But that's like a very gross, like male bodybuilding <laughs> dinner. Totally. But um, no, yeah, I think we need to we need to let fitness female fitness influencers post food because yeah, it's just it's sadly just very though. gendered because it's like yeah. uh, as a woman, of course, anything that you cook reflects on your your value in society for whatever reason. Um, yeah, are you familiar with with Ray Pete and like that school of uh, nutrition? Yeah. This is like. Yeah. All, all the vibe in New York is everyone talking about this guy, Ray Pete. I honestly like can't even speak to like his deal. It's like something about raising your metabolism, but he's like really pro coffee, really pro cigarettes or like pro nicotine. 
really pro ice cream and really pro carrots. It's like a daily carrot salad and then something about like egg yellow or something like that. Yeah. And it, it, he has like a very specific diet. It's giving like that one meme of the Vogue I know and like a like one egg in the morning and like wine. an entire bottle of wine a day or something yes it was it's kind of giving that but that is a type of fitness content right now I could definitely <laughs> see the return coming out of this wellness culture like a return to niche almost like magazine diets like I could see women being like I'm on a cabbage diet for some reason like not that's yeah. not a good thing but i could definitely see people saying like oh i'm going to go do the vogue diet maybe yeah i mean everything comes in cycles i did the cabbage soup diet once and i only lasted like two days it was oh my god <laughs> me me too my mom would do it all the time i come from like an actual almond mom and i'm really surprised i don't have body issues from it but she she would do the cabbage soup diet for like weeks at a time oh my god and it was like it was insane and she would try to get all of us to like get on it with her. And I was like in the sixth grade or something. I was like, mom. Mom, cook something, but, um, please. Yeah. I know, that yeah. was like the big thing in my high school was Watermelon Island. Like girls would always be like, I'm going to Watermelon Island. But it just meant like eating only watermelon. What? Or, That's so like, creative. Two weeks. Yeah. I don't know why they would say it like that. They were like, time to go to one way ticket to Watermelon Island, please. Um, and they would just have like a giant Tupperware of like cut up watermelon. Yeah. I feel like those types of diets have definitely gone away and now it's just more about like viral dishes like mm-hmm. emily mariko's salmon bowl type mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and like everyone trying to like have a dish that embodies their personal philosophy or whatever but yeah diet plans i feel like fell off has like macro counting do you think that's popular or have it as it over because in bodybuilding yeah. that's like the main thing is macro counting yeah that does seem pretty pretty big i've been getting a lot of content because i i get a lot of dietary content on my tiktok and it seems like right now we're going we're like it's like a return to protein which mm-hmm. feels yeah kind of closer to like we're kind of slouching towards bodybuilding you know because it's very much like before it was very much keto-esque low carb which i am under the understanding that is pretty bad for strength training to kind mm-hmm. of cut out carbs um I'm not sure though, but, um, but yeah, I, I see a lot of like protein content and kind of like, uh, eating the amount of protein that like your body weight is or something like that, or some weird little like quick formula for protein eating. That's what I've seen a lot of. Everything. I'm a big advocate of that. Yeah. (laughs) The protein waffles, the protein waffles. Yes. (laughs) The rise of just like protein coated stuff in the grocery store is just really crazy. Like there's a protein enhanced version of everything, which is fun. I just feel like so much of this content is like, it's it's not even just that it's clickbaity. It's just like so. There's always someone telling you that like something is wrong about the way that you think, and they're like misconception, like yeah. this, not this. And I feel like it's all kind of canceling itself out. Um, so we need to. I think we do need more people that can like get real, which is why I've I've been glad to see the rise of like, you know, completely debunking like the spot training myths and yeah. Mm-hmm. But someone needs to just like, yeah, break break it down for the kids. Yeah, we need to get rid of the. I mean, the clickbait content. Anytime you say do this, not that. It's yeah. Oh my engage, god, that's like debate, and that's like exactly what creates engagement. That is like the major yeah. format of like fitness stuff. It's crazy. That's yeah. like yeah, just weird pictures of like. I always get this on my Instagram. Like one 
bowl of food and then like another yes. bowl of food next to it and it's like this one is like 10 times the calories but yeah just, like yeah. i don't care like i just but the photos are attractive i'm just like okay well i'm, yeah. I'm hungry the internet is just very there's just like binary logic for the internet in general there's always like yes and no outrage versus joy it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's very interesting but the what i love about fitness and nutrition is that it's so based and animalistic that like you know it's like it really speaks to like your your survival instincts and stuff that like it almost feels i don't know the, the it's like high intensity or something like the content it's very interesting um because mm-hmm. i think it speaks to something ancient you know like hunter gatherer <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> I think things are going to get a lot more ancient soon. We had a big ancient phase, though. Like, paleo. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I forgot about that. That's so interesting, because a lot of people on the right, I guess, are kind of rehashing paleo, but they're doing paleo erasure. They're, like, erasing that phase of the 2010s, because that was a huge thing. You're right. It was massive. I was paleo. (gasps) But now you're getting, like, the carnivore diet, which is even more primal, because you're just eating the meat. Which seems like extreme paleo. Yeah, that is so have, funny to me. I have a friend who has recently started getting really into eating raw liver. Ugh, um, yeah, it's like a liver king. <laughs> liver king. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I'd rather very eat, interesting. Like, I'd rather eat like a sour gummy flavored protein cookie personally. Yeah, <laughs> I'm waiting for the goop creatine. Like, I bet it exists. Be, it's probably gonna come. It'll probably happen. Yeah. You need to be the face yeah. of it, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hire me, Goop. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, wait. Random, but if we may delve into your past, I feel like I've seen some content of you being formerly indie sleaze. And mm-hmm. am I correct that you, you used to work at American Apparel, or did I make that up? <gasps> I did. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I... Oh, do you want me to tell you the background on American Apparel? Yes, please. Yes, I just I want to yes. hear everything about it. Like it's so fascinating to me this um your aesthetic trajectory and just like mm-hmm. fascinating lore. <laughs> your your teenage <laughs> dirtbag video, which we have to link because ah, it's yes. so iconic. <laughs> yeah, I uh <clears throat> I moved to New York when I was 17. <gasps> For, went to NYU and immediately got a job at American Apparel. Oh, this is my dream oh. life. Wow. Yeah, circa 2003, <gasps> 2004. Yeah. And uh, I worked at the Lower East Side store. And so that was like the epitome of indie sleaze culture, like Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Dove like had an apartment right above our store. And so <gasps> the summer I like worked there, he like fired the entire staff except me. What? <gasps> my god he's like the vibe was off he just didn't like the vibe and so he brought in all these girls from canada and miami and then i would go on like you know recruiting missions with him to to find people to work the store and we basically like revived the whole store wow it it was so fun though i mean all those girls i worked with like still some of my best friends and we would wear american apparel just like head to toe like i would like go out partying all night in the lower east side and then like stay at a friend's house on Orchard Street and then come in and just buy a new outfit and work at American Apparel during the day <laughs> and then do it again and again. That's like, so amazing. I, yeah, that must have been that, an amazing time to go to NYU, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what I was your it. major? 
cinema studies. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, do you it's have any thoughts? It's like, oh, wait, there's go so ahead. much like um, active wear inspiration in American apparel as well. Yeah. They definitely the, did like an oh, 80s yeah. aerobic Leotards, phase. Aerobics, yeah. the tights. A lot of like shiny lycra. The color blocking. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And the leg, like the thigh high socks, like I wore those, like so embarrassing. Oh my god, <laughs> that's Wait, crazy! Yeah. I don't know if you mentioned this when I stepped out for a second, but how did you transition from being an American apparel girl to getting into fitness? Was it just through starting CrossFit when you were kind of starting your career after your MA? Yeah, I I was in New York City. I was working kind of in the fashion industry. I worked for a photo agency and we managed photographers, stylists, hair and makeup mm -hmm. artists. <clears throat> so I was still like very much in the fashion world in New York for several years, I think till I was like 26. And then I went to grad school and I just kind of like completely left New York and the fashion world behind. I was in Ithaca. I went to Cornell. So I was like totally out of the city. And uh, then that's when I started getting into fitness. So kind of mm -hmm. like in grad school, I had all this extra time because I wasn't working and mm -hmm started listening to like I don't know if you guys know who Ben Greenfield is he was like an early podcaster biohacker mm. listening to him and like getting into primal eating and all of that jazz and that's what got me into CrossFit so that I was like by the time I got out of grad school and was working I was like already mentally you know in fitness so it only took a couple years after grad school before I made the switch wow yeah. and you had moved to Chicago after um your time in Ithaca no, I I moved to Houston, but um, okay. with consulting, I was traveling every week. So oh, I did I like seven months in Chicago, Denver, like random Fargo. I was like everywhere. They would just send <laughs> me wherever. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's crazy. Do you, how do you feel about the Indie Sleaze revival as someone who was originally at the at the source? So I have a question. Like, are, are people actually wearing Indie Sleaze? Like, Because I yes. only read about it. Yeah. Yes? It's actually pretty crazy in New York. It, it is, like, real. It's definitely happening. Mm. Oh, I, like, I need to see how they're styling it. Because I feel like, for me, it's too soon. Mm. I mean, I really like the Y2K stuff because I think that was stuff I actually didn't wear at the time because it was, like, more mainstream fashion. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, a scene kid. So I actually like wearing that stuff. But, like, going back to wearing like American apparel for me would, it just feels like too soon. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. 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 The, the younger people, I think like maybe, um, teens to twenties are definitely very indie sleeves. Um, but I think they're styling it in this more like moto mommy, like yeah. kind of darker, like, okay. like dark, uh, almost like, uh, yeah, it's like a racing sports type vibe, like kind of subtle, like, um, X Games vibes. It's that I like. I, I, I can get into that. <laughs> I do like the X Games vibe. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it's um, we should do an episode on this at some point because it does feel like there's like a subtle darkness to the indie sleeves revival and the way that people are styling it. Um, but they definitely are wearing American Apparel, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, or Los Angeles Apparel now, I guess. That's really funny that you knew Dove and. Uh, traveled with him was that correct you would travel to to recruit these girls for your store well yeah we we did that in the city we would like walk oh. around and he'd be like go ask her <laughs> oh, my <God. laughs> oh my god this is like Glenn, Glenn Maxwell vibes but not no. actually yeah. <laughs> um, and then we would have like the interview like at the Broadway store the main store we'd have the interview and there'd be like a line around the block oh and god. he'd have them come in and like he would make them do like just answer ridiculous questions and one guy he wanted he was interested in like being 
a stock room guy and he's like, okay, get on your knees and say cleanliness is godliness. That's crazy. His spirit yeah. seriously haunts us. Like he was the yeah. he was the muse of this podcast, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Wait, is this how you found started. Nymphed Alumni was through American Apparel stuff or was it later? No. I you guys came as like you were always on my suggestion, like suggested podcast. Oh I don't know God. what I was listening to that was like considered tangential to you, but I saw you like pop up and so I was like, oh my god, I listened and you guys are amazing. Oh, oh thank you. That's so we, yeah, funny. when we like that like Dove Charney was like in your contacts and it was like yeah. <laughs> your contacts are <laughs> like the bell night. Right. <laughs> I've like um I don't know if I told this on the podcast before, but I like had a phase where for like a month I would like FaceTime him like regularly because I was trying to get what? him on the podcast. Yeah. And That's it was amazing. like it got really crazy. I'm not gonna get into the details of it, but it got very, very crazy. And I would just be like FaceTiming him and he would like just be taking me on these like crazy rides and trips and stuff. And I was literally just trying every single time to schedule a time for him to come on the podcast. And it turned into like a two hour conversation of him describing like all of his like supply chain issues and like personal lore and like I was just kind of like and then he was like come to LA and like move to my mansion and like make a book for like my oh God, I'm not I'm not even gonna get into the details I feel like uh if he ever hears it he's gonna get mad but yeah that's, that's like an interesting thing. connection <laughs> like, yeah. wow you should yeah. go you should like be a model for los angeles apparel i think oh you God, should be a model like, sarah yeah, yeah, yeah. you should you should no i'm too old for dove now he's got a type oh, <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's too bad yeah i want to represent you as a model i just want to see you have like oh. a very amazing style and clothes look yeah. so cool on you um oh. and i of course everyone must go follow sarah that's a prerequisite for listening to this episode but yeah i just i just really like how you incorporate like a general fitness kind of aesthetic into your style it's very cool to see um and unique like you do it in a very unique manner um we're obsessed we're obsessed with you thank you (laughs) i would love to see more fit girls like you know try with their fashion and get Mm -hmm. into fashion because i think maybe girls are intimidated or they feel like their bodies aren't meant for Mm -hmm. like high fashion clothes but there's a way to do it and i think more girls should Mm -hmm. absolutely amen yeah well guys should we wrap up soon we need to we need to free you from our recording studio We've like kidnapped you and trapped you in our little world. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such an interesting conversation, and like, yeah, you said you're so inspiring. Thank you so thank you for thank you so much. I've learned so thank much you. today about steroids. Can we to go find right, them? If I want to on anything, just cut at it. Like, no, I have no problem with you cutting anything. <laughs> Okay. Well, we, yeah, we, you were so interesting, uh, charming as we expected. Uh, we're so honored. We hope to cross paths with you in person someday. Absolutely. That would be so fun. And Yay. thank you for providing so much wonderful insight to our listeners. Please go follow Sarah, download her app, let her guide you through your fitness journey and mm-hmm. inspire you to take control of your destiny. Like she's inspired us. Um, is there yeah, anything else that you'd so like much. to plug? Oh, yeah. No, just my app, guys. So if you go to my Instagram, that's probably the best way um, to find my app. You have to use the link in my bio. and Or it's just sarahhersey.com. S-A-R-A-H-H-E-R-S-E.com works as well. Amazing. Yes, it's been an honor. I love you guys. So thank you so much Hi, for having me. I love you. Thank you so much. Sarah.